The High Chinuch Show is brought to you by King David Schools, the cornerstone of our community for 75 years. Torah isn't education, it's transformation. This is High Chinuch with Rabbi G. 101.9 Chaifem Rabbi G. We are back as we do every Monday between 2 to 3 where we discuss education, we discuss ourselves, we discuss the world, we discuss what we can do to make the world a better place to live in, what can we learn, what can we achieve, and what are the real topics we need to discuss in order to improve ourselves, our families, our communities, and up to the world, I guess, living in the world in place we want to be living in. Now we are in, officially, we are in the month of holidays. We've already got to the time of break of year, even though we've been feeling this for, I'd say, fairly amount of time already. However, now specifically, we're all pretty much, pretty much, even the ones of us that still have school for a few more days, we are all pretty much on holiday mode and getting towards there. And a very important discussion that we are going to have today as we are getting into holiday mode. And I'm going to start with a therapist, actually, because one of the biggest issues we deal with, and fascinating enough, I didn't really raise this as a specific topic on the show before, for the simple reason that almost... Almost every guest that I speak to in every field, from doctors, psychiatrists, therapists, educators, they all bring uh, this topic as part of their work. So we haven't always really spoken of it. I, I mean, we have had it on the show before, uh, but now we're going to be addressing full on the concept of social media, digital life, and computer games, video games, etc., for the simple reason that although we struggle with it all year round, and although it's a big issue and topic for us all the time, and a big concern, however, now is holidays, and anything we have for a limited amount, and because we have our responsibilities, now it's full speed and full power, and I think we need to be aware of what we're actually looking at. Is it good? Is it challenging? Is it both? What is? What are we facing, and what are we looking at 34519 is the SMS line if you want to share, add, comment, join the show in any way. It's really important and really value your opinion, your thoughts, because many times, and, and this is what frustrates me, and then we're going to go straight to the interview, is that many times people, when they speak to me about the digital world, they tell me, but what can we do? That's reality. Almost as if we have no responsibility at looking of what is actually happening, because what can we do? That's reality. We don't really say that when it comes to alcohol or drugs or driving cars. Maybe we'll find out in the show it's different, maybe not. However, we definitely need to explore and understand what it really is and what are we really facing. So, enough said, and going directly into our discussion, I'm here with therapist and senior counselor at Panda, um, Sinzekale Shungoe. Is that correct? Did I pronounce his surname correct? Senzikile Shongwe. Okay. The Senzikile I was getting, the Shongwe I was, okay. We'll <laughs> get there. So, Senzikile, first, let's introduce you to the listeners, uh, your, your role, your position, Panda as an organization. Tell us a bit about what you do. So, as you said, my name is Senzikile Shongwe and I'm a psychosocial therapist by profession. Um, and I work at Panda as a senior mental health um, therapist, senior counselor. 
And uh, Panda is an organization that deals with mental health care and democratizing mental health from a white perspective. We are in really um, the objective of making sure that everyone gets mental health care, no matter where they come from, no matter who they are, um, and no matter where in the country they, they, they based through our mental health app. Amazing, amazing. So we are speaking about digital life, and you know, you know, you're the other side of the good, meaning helping people through mental with mental health through an app and through digital world. But we can definitely discuss the challenges. However, I do feel like I want to go off script for a second, um, if that's okay. And I want to hear your comments. I was I, I saw yesterday an article, which is something that has been I've been speaking with my clients and my listeners for many many months already and that was regarding load shedding and the the court in Gauteng ruling yesterday I think it was or I saw it yesterday at least they ruled that load shedding is is damaging to the individual it's unconstitutional and it shouldn't be happening and the reason I'm bringing that up is because one of the 13 organizations that were on this appeal was a mental health association saying the impact of load shedding on mental health mm. is very difficult. And I don't know if we're actually aware enough of, you know, managing our mental health properly in awareness of what the load shedding is doing to us. A comment yeah. from you and we'll continue. What are your thoughts? I've got a lot of thoughts around that because that article is really, you know, speaking the truth. Load shedding is one of the biggest causes of um, mental illnesses and it exacerbates symptoms of mental illness for people that already have a mental illness. If you think about it, um, <clears throat> low shedding restructures our lives in a way that is unpleasant, right? If you already struggle with anxiety, you become anxious about when the next low shedding will be. Even if you've got a schedule, you become anxious about whether or not you've charged your phone, your laptop is charged, whether you've cooked, whether you've done this, 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 that. You always have to rush home so that you can do X, Y, and Z before low shedding goes. So that anxiety becomes exacerbated. And then we look at depression. When you describe depression, and a lot of people that have gone through it will say to you that depression feels like you're in a deep, dark space. Right? So when there's low shedding, it resembles exactly that. When it's 6 p.m. to 8 p.m., 9 p.m., 10, it's dark in the house and you only have a light, just one light, so that you can keep bright. Right, And that feeds to your depression as well. The silence that is at home without um, the radio or the TV or any other, you know, the fridge uh, in the background or any other noise that comes from electricity actually makes the situation feel even more uh, bad because you feel like, okay, this life is just sad. It's so quiet. And then it brings and it feeds onto this feeling of depression and anxiety. So for people that are already struggling with a mental illness, no shedding isn't helping at all. And even for the general human being, the anxiety, the stress, the pre-planning that comes with no shedding is not doing us any justice. And also remember, from a wide scale, even economically, no shedding is affecting us. So for people with businesses, it affects their businesses. And if your business is being affected, financially you become affected. So there That's, isn't any way that I can think of that low shedding is affecting us. Can you think of, and we'll get right back, we do need to take a short break, and when we come back, can you think of something that we can offer the listeners to do how to 
help themselves with the mental stress that load shedding is giving us. And then we'll go right to, back to our actual topic, a short break, and we will be right back. The Chai Chinuch Show is brought to you by King David Schools, the cornerstone of our community for 75 years. 101.9 Chai FM Chai Chinuch, Rabbi G. We are back after a short break. I'm here with a senior therapist and counselor, Sinzakele, and we were speaking right before the break about the challenges of load shedding and how tremendous effect it has on, um, and, you know, our mental health and how exciting it is that the, you know, the court did rule that it does have that mental challenge effect. And Sinzakele, you were, I was right before the break, I asked you, what can we, in a very short way, offer our listeners to do to manage their mental health when they are in this situation. Yeah. And the only thing that we can actually do is practice resilience because we cannot stop learning. We do not have the power to stop it. But the question is, how do you work around it? How do you prepare your mind mentally? Earlier I made an example around that we're always in a rush to make sure that everything is in order before that load shedding goes off. So how do you work around it? How do you plan ahead? How do you make sure that load shedding doesn't catch you, um, you know, as a shock and it doesn't come as a shock to you? That, number one, helps you with the anxiety that comes with it. If you've got the means to have more lights in your house when it is dark and there isn't electricity, please do that. Because I cannot emphasize how much just having lights in the house can help you so much more with load shedding. So if you've got the capacity to get those globes that you can get that recharge themselves, please get them. If you can get as much light as possible, please do get them. But more than anything, plan around load shedding and also try to keep occupied during load shedding time. Do not just say, okay, there's no electricity, what now? Actually plan as to what activities are you going to be doing, whether you're going to use the time to study, which is my favorite thing, I always study when there's load shedding. I call it my productive time. Um, I always work when there's load shedding because I know that I won't feel it. You know, some people would say that it's time for me to spend time with my family because when the electricity is back, my kids go and go play games or, you know, people are on their phones or whatever the case may be. So utilize load shedding time for your benefit and utilize it productively. In that way, your mindset shifts and make sure that you've got as much light as possible. Okay, so let me tell you what people do in load shedding, and this is where we're going to go straight to our topic. And one of the things that fascinated me is months ago when I was speaking to people about the mental challenge that comes with uh, and and with the load shedding, people started telling me, "No, we have we have a plan. We sorted out, so we're getting batteries to our home." And more and more, I heard from people, "Load shedding doesn't affect me because I have a battery." And then I would say, "And the battery loads the whole." holds the whole house and the first thing people would say no it holds my tv and my wi-fi mm. and then i'm good which many times led me to question how about your fridge your freezer your lights no i have my wi-fi i have my yes. it, and i'm good is that where we're down to if i have my wi-fi i'm good Yes, because remember that we are a society that is really addicted, and I'm using this word deliberately, we're very addicted to our phones and our laptops and the media. So if you've got that and there's no low shedding, then you feel good. You feel like, oh, things are actually normal. You know, if my Wi-Fi can run and there's no electricity, then I can watch Netflix. So instead of working or studying or reading or spending time with family, 
I can watch Netflix or I can be on Instagram the whole time. Then I am good and I don't feel load shedding. If you look at it, for most people in a household space, load shedding affects us just because we can't be on our Wi-Fi. So yes, that's where we are. So you're basically saying that, and you know, you chose the word addicted. And I'm wondering why. Maybe we just need it and that's our reality and it's a good thing that we're on our devices and we're on social media and we're connected to the world all the time. What, why are you using that term as a challenge, as a negative thing? It is a big challenge because if you look at the average South African citizen, they can't, they can't be without their phones for long enough. You know, even in this conversation with you, I've looked at my phone a couple of times, right? Because I want to see who's texting me. We are so, we, we are a generation of instant gratification. So the more I scroll, I just feel like it's okay. You know, I feel okay. But without it, I feel like something's missing. That there's probably a void or I'm missing something. Like you said, is it not a good thing that we're connected to the world? It is. But do you actually need to be connected to the world all the time? What about yourself? And what about the people around you? What are the damages that you're actually seeing in your work? Mental health. So, for example, when you are always on the phone, especially with children, I mean, and with adults, what we see is that you start to isolate yourself. Now you no longer need people. You no longer need a person because everyone is on social media. But are they really human beings that you can say you connect with? We care so much more about how many likes we get on, on TikTok than we care about how many people in our family actually like us. So we, 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 we become gratifi- gratified by how many people on social media comment, how many people approve of us, what we see, this dream that we have, this unrealistic world that we get to tap into when we are on Instagram, seeing the beauty of, you know, what people are living, which is obviously unrealistic. So, what I see in the work that I'm doing is a whole lot of isolation and um, I see a lot of people being misled into thinking that their lives are not good enough because of what they're learning on the media and what is being portrayed on the media. So feeling like you're, you're not enough, low self-esteem, always comparing yourself, leading to anxiety, leading to depression. On the other hand, what parents will tell you if I do block my child, and before we even discuss ages, etc., if then they will be blocked from society because they will have not, they will have no friends and no communication because everybody in their class and school is in that space. The parent would me would the parent in me would say then that's fine, you know, uh, because we want to encourage play in children, we want to encourage real conversations in children. And in as much as every child is on social media, you actually can have a, a conversation with that child face to face as well. So if I say I'm blocking my child from social media, I'm actually saying you can have real conversations with your friends, right? When you see them, when you are with them and you can be present. Okay. So looking at that world, you speak about the depression, about the isolation, about the worry, but what is realistic? And, you know, hopefully we're going to be joined soon by a neurologist and we're going to speak from the physical side of the brain. However, as a therapist, how do we balance our lives with Mm. social media, 
what age would be the appropriate age? How do we approach it, the kids, etc.? I think social media requires one to be very responsible. That is number one. So at a responsible age, I would say 16, a child then starts to become responsible. And I'm asked this question a lot of times that what, what am I supposed to do with social media exactly? And I always say to people, look at what your trend is. Right. What are you looking for on social media? What interests you on social media? You know, um, and social media should be used to elevate your life. It should be used for learning purposes. Hello. Okay. San- Hello. Sanzakile, um, we're here. I think that we are joined by Dr. Uh, Tsion Zibli. Is that correct, Doctor? Are you with us on the line? Yeah, good morning. How are you doing? Oh, good afternoon. Actually. Good afternoon. Thank you so much. So we're, uh, you came in right into the show and we are discussing, I'm here with uh, um, therapist uh, Senzikile Shingawe and I'm here with Dr. Tsion uh, Zibli, who's from the Shiva Hospital in Israel, uh, a neurologist and, and well-experienced who's been on the show before as well. And we are exactly speaking about this social media challenge, and we are about to go into uh, games and um, the effect that it has on the brain. So maybe a word from you, doctor, regarding uh, when we look at the reality of today, of the world, the amount of hours uh, people are spending on social media, even with the last two months of the horrific content that people are exposed to, um, are we seeing an actual physical challenge something that you could pick up in a clinical space of the dangers or perhaps not. Perhaps it's a great thing. What is your view on that? So fortunately for me, I wasn't, you know, fortunately for me, I wasn't exposed to patients who came in with, um, you know, with, with, with any issues because of that. But I do have a lot of friends who were exposed to patients who came in. And, you know, unfortunately, there have been a few cases where, especially in Israel now, where people have actually, you know, committed suicide after being exposed to this horrific uh, scenes that they've seen. Most of them, you know, if, if they, they were overexposed, uh, and unfortunately, they, they, you know, they ended their life because of seeing too much of these horrible scenes that were, especially on the media. Okay, so so that that's definitely a, a a proper struggle that we're facing. When we look at generally, and I, I want to ask you from the generic stuff. And, and to be honest, uh, you know, many times I've I've actually quoted you from you. Know, it was a big privilege because I've spoken to you before, and I've cro- quoted you in some of my talks about uh, the dangers of video games and what it does to the brain. And I'd like to hear from you. If you could share, are, are you able to see, let's say, an MRI? Are you able to see when a child is, or an adult, is overexposed to devices, to electrical stuff? How is that affecting him in life? So, you know, I think with adults, it's a bit different with pediatric population, uh, especially because if you, you know, the literature about kids' pediatric population is different because the brain in pediatrics has what we call plasticity. So it can actually change uh, and develop. And for example, even if a kid has an accident or a stroke or whatever, um, the brain can cope with this, and you know other areas of the brain can cope and, and and adjust and have plasticity to take the the role of another part that was damaged. 
It is also different. I think that, you know, if you look at uh, video games or especially social media, it's, it's an addiction. So in adults, it's exactly like an addiction. So there are a few, there are a few papers that actually checked what happens to adults' brain if they get addicted to, to video games. And I don't mean that, like, you know, adults that play with video games like once or twice a week with the kids on the weekends. They're actually adults who are addicted to video games, they are what they call gamers. And this group of population has the same changes in the brain that you can see, in, uh, especially in fMRI, uh, with other addiction, just like drug addiction. But I do think that, I hope so, that video gaming is less, is less addicted than the heroin addiction or other drug addiction. But the, the, but the same changes happen in the scans for these adults with, which are video games addicted or drug addicted. When you say gamers and addicted, are we looking at somebody who plays an hour a day, two hours a day, eight hours a day? What are we looking at in numbers? We're looking at hours a day. These are what we call gamers. Two hours a day? No, I, mean, I guess more than two hours a day. I mean, gamers are people, who, this is what they do for life. I mean, they're sitting right. there, just like going to the casino, you know what I mean? So, so you would say that an average child who goes to school and comes home after school and spends the rest of the afternoon on a device, that you wouldn't consider that as an addiction or you wouldn't worry about the changes in the brain? I would, especially if you let them play for a few hours every day and especially if you, you, you make him stop, he comes you know, nervous or whatever, then you know that you're, he's addicted. Okay. So what's fascinating to me, and, and I have to ask this because, you know, I'm sitting here in interviewing a one of the world-leading neurologists, um, leading Shiva Hospital, and he, Dr. Zion, and Dr. Zion is saying very clearly, I can see it on the brain development. It's a real problem, and we're facing a huge, huge issue. And before that, um, you know, you as a therapist in Zekele, you also said the same thing. It's an addiction. It's a problem. It's a challenge. And I want to wondering from you, Zekele, where are we getting lost? How come when, as parents, I'm, we're panicking if our child starts using alcohol overuse or any other substance we get, we panic and we feel like we need to intervene. And we have this like chilled space and, you know, as a therapist, where does this, you know, calmness around it come into play when we hear such clear words from the therapist, from the doctor, what more do we need to say, whoa, what's happening to our kids? Um, I, I like your question and it, it's, it's sad for me to respond in this manner because a lot of parents that I've spoken to, especially parents of the young ones, they say, you know, when my child has the, my phone on their hand, I catch a break. So from a young age, Parents would use the phone, would use the TV, so that they can be they can be able to get catch a break, get a break from parenting. Because when the child is with their phone, they don't mind staring at the phone for hours on end. So when the child is doing that, it means that me as a parent, I can do all my other stuff. I don't have to, um, you know, manage a child that is crying or whatever the case may be. So that is where it starts. And also, society doesn't see anything wrong with this. So even when the child grows up and they become a teenager and they constantly are on their phone, it's a societal norm. Unlike with alcohol where 
you can see that it affects a, a child's behavior. You can see that, you know, society deems it as wrong. And it even has got an, an age to it that you can only start drinking at 18. So a child doing it below that age, it's seen as wrong, even with cigarettes or drugs or whatever the case may be. But because society deems the cell phone as a normal thing, it's not wrong, and a lot of parents catch a break by giving their children the phone and they feel like, you know, their lives will not be disrupted, then it is okay. So it, it, it hurts me to say this, but most of the time, the problem starts with the parents using the phone to shut their kids up. So, you know... Yeah, the, so I totally agree. And also, and also excuse me for, 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 for getting involved, but no, also, it's, all, it's also about branding. You know, drugs and alcohol have been branded as something which is bad for us, right? Even for adults, for kids. You see movies, I mean, you, you, you walk in the street, you see signs saying, don't drink and drive, right? But they're branding that the, the, the phone companies, the game companies, the computer companies has done is amazing. So nobody would think, you know, that that's bad. And again, I, I also do what you said because, you know, I, all of us use the phone you know, when the kid is crying or doing something, we want some, we want to be quiet. Okay, you can use the phone for 15 minutes, and then it turns out to an hour and a half. Right. So, so you know, the, the part of us using the phone as as a babysitter, uh, I do think that that has also to do with our ignorance because at the end of the day, alcohol could also give us quiet from our kids, and we, nobody would ever even think of <laughs> giving their child alcohol and putting them to sleep. And we we do. There is that level of ignorance. And my question is, why is there a level of ignorance? Because we have so much information. We have, oh, we're sitting here on the show. I'm interviewing two professionals. I myself do a lot of work in, in public speaking and, and counseling. And we're all saying this very clearly. And still, we're in this branding reality that it's good and it's okay. And it's safe when it's, if, and correct me if I'm wrong, doctor, it sounds like it's actually not safe. I don't think I don't think any of us thinks it's safe and it's good. Um, but again, I think it's the conception of it. It's different than alcohol and, and, and drugs because of the branding it has. Because we use it also, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, most of us use the phone more than we have to use it. Uh, to be honest, mm-hmm. uh, whatever your time, you just open your you open you open you open the the, the the web and you look at the movie, YouTube. You go and look at that and that, and you can you don't have you don't really have to use it as much as you do. I think it's all about branding. Most of us know that using the phone too much is bad, just like we know that if the kid is watching too much TV is bad, right? All of us know. Mm-hmm. But still, you know, it looks harmful, so we let them use it. Hmm. And also just to add and respond to what you're saying is that um, when you look at the phone and all of the programs that have been designed, there's actually programs for kids. There's phones that have been designed for children specifically. So it does not, it's not that all parents are ignorant, but they don't see it as a bad thing. You, you know, you're saying that there is a lot of information, but maybe the information isn't that much because if you see a program and you're like, my kid now knows how to count because they watch the show all the time, which is the reality, you know, and they do, they did learn how to count from one to 10 because they watched um, a, a show over and over and over again before they even go to school, or they go to preach. So as a parent, you're saying, oh, actually, if I give my child to play educational games and they, they watch educational series, then it's actually a good thing. 
So I don't think it's a matter of ignorance per se, but I think there's just a lack of understanding or the extent of understanding as to how much damage can a phone do. So I think we need to address that. Uh, we just need to take a short ad break. And when we come back, I actually would like to go very practical into that. The Chai Chinuch Show is brought to you by King David Schools, the cornerstone of our community for 75 years. 101.9 Chai FM Chai by G. We are back. I'm here in a fascinating discussion here with Dr. Tzion Zibli, who is a neurologist and head of un- the neurology unit at Sheba Hospital in Israel, and Sinzekele Shingawe. He was a therapist and senior counselor at Panda. I want to suggest something, and one would love to hear what you feel. Maybe Dr. Tzion will start with you. And, you know, we spoke right before the break quite a bit about the reality of the addiction when it comes to devices and when it comes to games and the dangers, etc., if we would dis- make a distinction and we say, you know, it's different when we have uh, an addiction to alcohol or cigarettes or whatever, because we agree that is bad. Let's look at it as an addiction to food, per se, because food we know that we have to eat and we have no choice and we're there. However, if we overeat and if we, you know, there are things that are safer and things that are less and things that are good, things that are bad. And we need to protect our health and we can't just eat and consume as much as food and whatever food we want at all times. And if we would take that approach to social media, to video games, to uh, TV, to everything in the electronic device, can we think of some kind of safety guidance of window? Number one, to know what are the more toxics, just like we have by food. So what is more toxic? Is social media more toxic? Do we have video games more toxic? Do we have, uh, um, you know... Uh, video games, whatever it is, uh, question number one. Number two, what is the window of tolerance that our bodies and brains can actually manage? What is the normality that we say, okay, your body can hold this, you can manage it, this is our reality, and what is when we say, okay, we're pushing it? So, like Tzion, which one would you like to start with? So, you know, I mean... First, I have, to, I have to say something before we start. Like, when you look at games and video games and social media, uh, just like with food, it's all about dosing. I don't think anybody can tell you exactly how much, like, how many games or etc. is good or bad. I think it's all about dosing. But I do think that what is important is what types of games at what age, okay? okay. Most of the video games that kids get addicted to, unfortunately, are games who incorporate violence into it, okay? So I think that, you know, if you keep your kids away from games which incorporate violence into it, I think you're doing good for them. Because I don't know how you can really stop your kids from playing video games, how can you control how many, how many hours a day or social media, etc. But, you know, it's all about dosing, exposure to violence, and of course it's the fake news because especially now, would happen in Israel. I see my kids. I mean, there's so much fake news that you can see. So many horrible movies that are fake that you can see. So it's about dosing, violence, and keeping them away from fake, 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 fake social media. So that, that's what I think you should be worried about. Okay. Are there things that are more addictive and less addictive? Like if I have a choice between my child uh, watching YouTube or watching a movie or playing a video game or on social media, what would I guide him towards if I do have that ability 
I really don't know, but I do think that I saw something saying that the shorter the movies are, the more addicted they are. Because when you change from a movie to a movie, like TikTok movies or whatever, it's more addicting than the long, longer movies because they get bored with longer movies. So I think the shorter, like TikTok, etc., is more addicting than the regular movies that you can show them. Yeah, we, we I have seen also research about the span of attention getting shorter and shorter with the uh, short videos and the ability to concentrate then for longer periods in a, ca- a class or anywhere becomes impossible. Um, and the patience, I mean, you know, in the past, when we were growing up, if you watch a movie, you had to wait four minutes to see the ads and the names of everybody. And now the whole short is 30 seconds and they, after five already, can move it on. So the definitely the gratification in the uh, sentence. Uh, there is an element of the sensory and that's what fascinates me, because when I ask parents, how is your child after they get up from the computer? Are they calmer? Is it after, like, they read a book or ran? Or are they after a rush and a sensory modulation? And they can see how it wasn't downtime. It was a problem. The child is more explosive after watching a screen, after playing a game. And for some reason, that's not coming into play. Where would you go- take the guidance to Sinzakele? So, like you said, they, 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 it actually does the opposite of what we think, right? We're thinking it will calm them down, but afterwards they become very irritable and they become quite, you know, uh, it's hard for them to sleep. They, their mood becomes really messed up because of too much screen time. So, um, when you ask me around, you know, what should we then do with regards to that? I do think that, you know, in the current place that we're at, we can't say to parents don't give your children the cell phone or digitals at all. But I'm saying that we should have a limited amount of time that we expose our children to social media. And we should teach them that what they need to be doing at the age that they're in is play and expose them to play. Take them to parks, you know, um, take them outside to go play games and help them to enjoy all of that. We are the ones that introduce these things to our kids. And as much as we are their parents, we are able to say no and we are able to say yes. You know, um, we cannot say don't use it at all because we are in an era where there is social media and there is phones and there is video games, but it should really be controlled. What would be the recommended age to introduce this to our kids? That is a really great question. And I, I, I don't want to say this is the age to recommend because I think that it is relative to each and every parent but I would say things like giving your child a phone and saying this is your phone it should be like I said earlier a responsible age from the age of 16 where they are able to differentiate between right and wrong you could then give them a guided um, television from the age of 3 where they are able to watch cartoons and they are able to engage in age appropriate stuff what I do like about all of this content is that there are there are age restrictions that are put, unless you obviously go to um, Google and all of that. But there are age restrictions, so parents should follow. Am I giving my child access to something that they should have access to? Is my child watching something that is for children at the age of thirteen? Well, where else they fall? So we have to be able to um, go along with those. Dr. Tsion, what would you say the age? I totally agree. I mean, eventually, at the bottom line, it's all about us. I mean, we make the decision what we see, what they watch. It's just like a pacifiable kid. So at the beginning, it, you know, kid, it, 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 you know, it looks like he's no harm, but. I think we're losing you. 
um, that to see on right now. So I agree with whatever my colleague said on the phone, it's, it's exactly what I was thinking. The same okay. ages, the same stuff, the same content, everything. Okay, so we have an agreement. We do need to take a short ad break, and when we come back, we're going to start get, heading towards the show. So I would ask each of you after the break for one practical recommendation for safety and for knowledge going forward, how to create healthy homes within the digital content and world. A short break, and we will be right back. The High Chinuch Show is brought to you by King David Schools, the cornerstone of our community for 75 years. 101.9 Chai FM Chai Chinuch Reggie. We are back, and we're really towards the end of a fascinating show, which I highly recommend that if you're joined late or you're not here, you should really go back to the podcast as a parent and you know be focused on what uh, we need to do and to support our kids. On a very practical level, before we end the show, Dr. Tzion Zibli, your head of neurological uh, unit in uh, Sheba Hospital, what would be your recommendation for the step one of creating a safe, healthy, digital environment for our children? So, so I'll tell you what I'm doing as a parent. I think this is the easiest uh, explanation I can give. First, only safe content. There's a plenty of uh, uh, possibilities of ensuring that your kid is exposed only for too safe and materials online. Second, I wouldn't give a, an iPhone or whatever to a kid which is, you know, school age, minimum school age. Um, third, all these short uh, movies, contacts like TikTok, I think the better for the kid that he will not be exposed to TikTok movies, to short movies, especially when he's younger than like 14 years old, and violence. Under 14 years old, you said? That's what I think. I mean, that's what I think. I mean, nobody really checks exactly what's the age, but that's what I I think is what I'm sensing. Okay. And again, with the game, video games or gaming, I think that you have to make sure that your kid is not exposed to violence in video games. And the shorter time he has exposure to video games, the better he will do in the in, in, in the future. That's what I'm thinking. And the better you, you do with your kid also. Take yeah. him out, take him to the garden, take him to the park, talk with him, watch movies with him. You know, don't play video games with him. So even if you allow a phone or something, let it be an enjoyable thing and not a babysitter still be your parent yes, yes, still be a parent yes. I don't think that, I don't yes once the once the, once the phone is, is turned to a babysitter because you need to be you know as a babysitter he will, he will get addicted to it and you will never know how much time he's using it you know eventually when the kids grow up they have ways to bypass all the limitations you put on the phone it's easy exactly okay amazing thank you Sinzakele uh, Shingawe what would you say? Yeah. Um, and I agree with what uh, the doctor just said, but I would say um, this is to the parents. Lead by example. Um, you can't say stop using your phone. You can't say you only have two hours to use your phone when you are always on your phone. Children learn through mimicking. So they learn through modeling. What you do is what they want to do. You should spend time exercising, meditating, cooking, playing with your children, and engaging with family. When you are on your laptop, they should know that mommy or daddy is working and that mommy and daddy is not just scrolling through YouTube and, you know, some stuff on social media. Um, so really, really do lead by example and 
speak to your children about these things. When you when children understand why they're not supposed to stay on TikTok for five hours, they are at a better position to not do it because you teach and you model. But if you say, if you do right, you're going to get TikTok. If you do wrong, I'm going to take away TikTok from you. It sends a very unclear message as to why is this thing a bad thing, but it's also a good thing when I do the right things. So the way that we communicate, the way that we teach, and the way that we model is a really key thing. Amazing. Thank you so much. We are running out of time. I wish we had more time. It was a really, really great show. Really appreciate uh, all your time and expertise. And please, God, we will go to a much uh, safer usage and understanding of what the complexity of what we are uh, facing. So really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you to Dr. Tzion Zibli, the head of Neurological Unit at Shiba Hospital. Thank you so much to Sinzekele Shingawe, therapist and senior counselor at Panda. Thank you, Sena, for putting this show together. Thank you, Craig, for managing the show and everything around it. And the main thing to the listeners, stay safe, enjoy your holiday, use your, your digital break, but be careful, be safe, and be aware, and let's use this time for the best. We will be back next week, Monday, 2 to 3. In the meantime, enjoy the beginning of the holiday.